This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. Hey, girl, <laughs> hey. Hey. Sup? <laughs> so, how you doing over there? Hey, okay. Yeah. Hey, okay, bruh. I'm doing great, bruh. Bruh. Yeah. I don't know where that came from. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of giddy a little bit. Ah, uh, yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Still no recording of him saying that. I know. He's very elusive, that one. I, I'm going to need you to be on guard at all times. <laughs> Have your phone ready. Dude, he'll do selfies till the cows come home, but when he knows I'm videoing him, it's over with. You're going to have to sneak attack him. <laughs> Just never know when it's going to happen. I don't know. Create the scenario. <laughs> Set it up, Mom. Ah, oh, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, hi. Hi. <laughs> it's episode 46. Yeah. 46. 46. Now Yikes. I feel old. <laughs> Why? 46. It doesn't make us older. <laughs> no. I know. But we've gone past my actual age and now I'm like, ugh. Girl, we've been gone past your actual age. You're twenty two. I know. <laughs> and it hurts more and more every time. It's killing me softly. It's killing me softly. With, With this song? song. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's hump day, thank God. It's hump day. Yeah, because uh, we needed this. Indeed. So, since our topic is school shootings, yes, I decided to go with a little school time thing. After school treat. Yeah. Cookies and milk, right? Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, we got the grown-up version. Mm-hmm. Today was the grand opening of Crumble Cookies in our area. If you uh, haven't been to one of those, do that. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We're obsessed. We're completely obsessed. Uh, shout out to Brad and Jen. Good job, guys. Okay. This is how dedicated I am to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I pull up and I'm thinking it's after lunchtime. It won't be that bad, right? Yeah. Cause we're in Louisiana and it's 400 degrees outside. Right. Nobody in their right mind wants cookies that bad. Yeah. Even on opening day. Well, apparently we do. Mm -hmm. Because the lime was wrapped around to the back. We like to eat down here. In the sun. But I was like, you know what? No, I'm here. I'm going to do it. <laughs> she so, braved the Louisiana heat. Like, just got done at the gym and now I'm waiting in line for cookies. <laughs> you know. That's what we do. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of them has protein in it. it it's got peanut butter. Yeah. It's good for you. That's how we justify this. Mind your business. Yeah. Back off. So, <laughs> all right. So, I stood in line for 45 minutes. Totally worth it. I got a little bit of a tan. So, that was a bonus. But I got chocolate chip, salted caramel, mm -hmm. chocolate potato chip that has Ruffles potato chips and pretzels. Y'all, it's legit. Oh, my God. We have personally taste tested all of these. And the last one is the uh, chocolate peanut butter cup or something like that. It's got peanut butter. It's got chocolate. It has a heaping mound of chocolate icing on top of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not the type of icing that gets hard. Oh, no. This is like the legit gooey chocolate cake icing. I'm in love. I'm in love with the chocolate icing. Like, I could just lick the cookie all day. Uh, salted caramel for me all day. Oh, that's my favorite. Hands down, my yep. favorite. It's got the cream cheese icing on top of it, and then they drizzle caramel sauce on it's top. It's sticky. That's how it much. Is oh, it's on so top good. of a, I don't know exactly what this cookie is. It looks like it's snickerdoodle-esque. But it's got some some kind of crumbly stuff on top. Oh, my God. It's I, I, like I should have researched it. Yeah. Because it looks like a cinnamon sugar crumble. We'll post the info. Or just go buy one. Oh, just but do just that. Just go buy one. They're everywhere. Damn near the size of my face, these cookies. 
Oh, yeah. We're going to post a pic of Brittany with the cookie. <laughs> yes, we will. With the salts and caramel mm-hmm. cookie. And then our version of milk is uh, the Chocolatini ready-to-drink mix I got from Walmart for $14. Mm-hmm. Shit's strong, y'all. Made with real cream. 13.9%. So, yeah, I, I'm loving this. Shit's strong, y'all. It is pretty strong. But then I was like, okay, maybe we should do like an iced coffee. Mm-hmm. So I was walking down the aisle and I saw over to my right some Starbucks cold brew. I was like, okay, all right, we're going to mix that in with it. So I did a splash or two or I don't, I don't know. Well, we it eyeballed started it. out as a shot. It, yeah. And then it developed into a little bit more than that, which I'm actually glad it did. It escalated quickly, but it's delicious. You know, we, our shots never. <laughs> Shit happens. Shit just happens. <laughs> I did measure out the um, the chocolatini stuff. I did do one cup. And I got us these cute mason jars from Michael's. They're so cute. They have handles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We fancy. We fancy. And it has a little spot where you can write on them. So okay, cool. with lids. Okay. So that was my little adventure for the day. So, yeah. Wonderful hump day treat. Yay, crumble cookies. Yes. Kudos, Amanda. Yeah. And happy humping. Happy humping. Yeah. That's why we're so happy and uh, energetic. and Not because we were humping, because Ew, no. <laughs> we were eating cookies <laughs> and drinking milk. Okay. Okay. Uh, I got jokes. <laughs> you know, I didn't even think of it like that. You so saw, it, I'm, I'm saw glad, an opportunity. Yeah. It happened. No, I'm glad you caught it because other people would have been like, okay. Uh, how how good of friends are y'all? Okay. <laughs> no, no, guys. Sorry. Shit's not happening. No. <laughs> okay. I'm going to eat this piece of chocolate. Chocolate. Chocolate, chocolate chip cookie. Because it fell off and oh my God. something had to be done. The chocolate chip. Just the basic chocolate chip cookie. It is so good. That's the one we tasted first. Mm-hmm. We had to uh, gauge how good it was going to be on the most basic cookie. Absolutely. They had two other ones, too, but I'm not a big fan of coconut or Mm-mm. nuts. So No, veto, veto. Yeah. But more power to you if you want to try those. Yeah. If if that's your thing. I'm sure they were delicious. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take your word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, while you're uh, placing your order with them. Yeah. Googling where the closest crumble cookie is. Go to our Facebook and Instagram pages so you can see all the photos and all the shenanigans we get into and all the cute little memes and stuff that we post during the week. And if you want to chit-chat with us, you know, if you we want like to get in to touch with us. And chat. We do, we do like to do both. <laughs> we, we do answer back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have episode ideas or whatever. Hit us up, bros. I did a little peace sign, too. I she don't did. know where that like, came from. We need to start videoing this stuff. That was cute. Last time she raised her hand, and today she's doing peace signs. But seriously, I was thinking about it. Like, I made a funny post a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, you know, if it gets cold one more, one more time, I'm going to put my Halloween shit back out. Mm-hmm. So it got me thinking. I was like, it's almost spooky season. So any time is almost spooky season. Don't forget about sending in your spooky stories yes. for our special Halloween bonus episode. Because we're doing that again. And, you know, I think we need to brainstorm some ideas of some spooky shit for us to do in October. I completely agree. We could have like a... Um, we really did not we take could make it a group thing. last year. Like for local people if they want to like come join us. Yeah. Oh, hey, y'all let us know if y'all want to do that. Yeah. Would y'all like to come to a little haunted house with us or something? Do some kind of meet and greet. Don't murder us. No, please don't murder us. <laughs> We will only go to places where they do have uh, metal detectors and... CCTV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we will be recording the whole thing. Yeah. There we go. Security. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we need to hire bodyguards. I might be here for that. Okay. So, back on topic. Our subject this week is school shootings. We're going to do a little... We're going to give you a little warning. Trigger warning. Yeah. We realize that this is a very sensitive topic and Mm -hmm. not not to be taken lightly, and we don't intend to. We were very strategic in picking our cases. Yes. Nothing recent. The most recent is mine, and it's a college. You know, we steered clear from 
the recent elementary school things. Yeah. So. And the other one happened way long ago. It's in the past. We can't do anything about it now. Yeah. It's already happened. You know, like we do with every other sensitive topic, we report the facts and the true events and all that. And um, none of this was taken lightly. No. But, you know, we try to throw a little twist on it to lighten it up for y'all a little Mm -hmm. bit. So don't hate us for for, uh, any jokes or whatever. We understand if sometimes... Some of the topics that we cover are triggering, and if y'all have to skip an episode or something, it doesn't hurt our feelings. That's why we like to give you a heads up. Yep. So So if it's not for you, that's okay. Yeah. Go listen to another one. Yeah. We do all kinds of stuff. We do. We can get kind (laughs) of (laughs) kooky. So Not us. Just bear in mind, we had nothing but the best intentions when doing this episode. Yes. All right, so my case was on the University of Texas. Sorry, I'm a tad bit excited. (laughs) Just a little. The tower shooting. Yeah. So, the University of Texas tower shooting was said to be one of the worst mass murders in American history at the time that it took place on August 1st, 1966, on and around the University of Texas at Austin. Yeah. Charles J. Whitman, a student and Marine veteran, took control of the observation deck of the iconic tower and fired multiple weapons onto the campus and surrounding businesses. This marked what many consider to be the first mass shooting in U.S. history. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, synopsis. Thank you. Charles Whitman, 25, was studying architectural engineering. Oh, goody, it's lit up. We get to see him. Yeah, let's pop on over to the notes and look at a picture of Charles Whitman. It says Charles Whitman. It says douchebag. It should say douchebag. Yeah. But he's got his marine haircut in this Mm -hmm. picture, which I'm not a fan of. No offense to those of you who must have that haircut. It's not my fave. Maybe just, you know, like, try... Something else. <laughs> Cut it all off. D- yeah. Just, Why do just we totally leave... go, just totally shave it all? Why do we leave the oval? I don't need the I oval. I mean, unless you have to, like, I get it, but I, but I see, like, military people that don't have to have this haircut anymore, so. Yeah. Let's just, you not. know, let's just branch out and. Let's make that a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's our vote. Yeah. In 1961, he was admitted to the University of Texas at Austin on a scholarship from the Naval Enlisted Science Education Program. That's lots of words for one scholarship. Yeah. (laughs) While at UT, he met and married his wife, Kathleen. And I just happened to stumble across a wedding picture. And I was like, why wouldn't we show that? I want to see all of it. So click on it. Oh, you poor girl. So... First oh, off, he's still got the haircut. Oh, yeah. Ugh. First off, this veil is something else. I wish I had a color photo so I could really see what is happening with this veil. It's it is it's extravagant. I really need to know the makings of this headpiece. <laughs> yeah. I need to know. But Kathleen, ma'am, you're styling. I'm guessing there's a lot of lace in that headpiece and pearls. Oh, there's got to be. I'm hoping. It was the 60s, so she was styling. Get it, Kathleen? No, I love it. The long gloves and everything. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. She was dainty. Yeah. So Whitman struggled with gambling and bad grades, and he lost his scholarship in 1963. In the months leading up to the shooting, Whitman had sought professional help for, quote, overwhelming violent impulses, including fantasies about shooting people from the tower. Hello, therapist. Yes. Um, it was the 60s. Yeah, they did. Mental health was, it was not, it was not even addressed, really, <laughs> no. in the 60s. That's not something that you talked about. Uh, it was shunned. Kind of swept under the rug. Yes. We didn't medicate or do counseling or anything. It, yeah. It's sad. It, it was a mess. It was sad. Yeah. Whitman's murderous spree began on the early morning of August 1st, 1966, when Mm. he killed his mother, Margaret Elizabeth Whitman, at her apartment near downtown Austin. Mm -hmm. About three hours later, he returned to his South Austin home and killed his wife, Kathleen, as she slept. They were both stabbed. Yeah. 
In a note typed just hours before the murders, he professed his love for both women, saying he had killed them to spare them future humiliation and suffering. Mercy killing. Okay. Mm. But if that right there doesn't spell a psychotic break. Um, oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I, I think I like red flag. He feels like he's saving them. From around 3 a.m. to his arrival on the UT campus at 11.30 a.m., he prepared for a takeover of the campus by purchasing and packing a variety of guns and about 700 rounds of ammunition that he had purchased from various stores that morning. Okay, because I was just thinking, okay, that's definite premeditation, but wait a minute. Where do you buy ammo between 3 a.m. and 11.30 a.m.? So what I want to know. Pawn shops and Sears and there was a home and garden store. Because apparently, well, it said that he was preparing between 3 a.m. and 11.30. So whenever the stores opened. Good God. But yeah, he. 700 rounds. He definitely went to a Sears, a home and garden (laughs) store that was not named, and a pawn shop that was not named in the article that I had. So he was bouncing around town buying stuff. So... I have a picture of his guns laid out. Oh, nice. Guns! Great. He got guns and shit. He has lots of guns. Uh-huh. Hold on, I had to take a cookie He's break. He's got like a buffet of guns. Mm-hmm. And all the ammo. And great. So, yeah. he also packed... This is a long list. Are you ready? I'm ready. He also packed... Food, coffee, vitamins, dexedrin, excedrin, earplugs, jugs of water, matches, lighter fluid, rope, binoculars, a machete, three knives, a transistor radio, toilet paper, a razor, and a bottle of deodorant. Well, thank God he packed a radio. Might need that. (laughs) And he didn't want to be musty, so deodorant. Yeah, I'm really proud of the deodorant and the toilet paper. Deodorant and toilet paper. I have a picture of his supplies. Shut up! For realsies. <laughs> yes. Check the notes. He got some raisins and some oh canned goods. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's a hammer. Grill light. And canteen. Oh, my All God. All different kinds of ropes. Oh, my God. Spam. I knew it. I was like, where's the spam? Where's the spam? There it is. Of course right there in spam. the middle. But, yeah. He was um, a hammer, a machete. He was yeah, prepared he was- for anything. Bruh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm really disappointed he didn't put that much thought into this. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Oh, wow. So that morning, Whitman also rented a dolly and cashed $250 worth of bad checks at a bank, which he probably used to buy all the ship. Okay. He arrived at the campus where he showed false research assistant identification to get a parking permit. He wore overalls to disguise himself as a janitor, entered the tower on the ground floor, got on an elevator, and wheeled a footlocker on the dolly to the 27th floor. That's not suspicious at all. Mm-mm. God. Afterwards, he hauled his gear up three flights of stairs to the 28th floor reception area and observation deck. If that's not dedication, I don't know what is. Right? Hauling a footlocker up yeah, three too flights much. of stairs. That's too much. I have a picture of the tower, of the observation deck part of the tower. Yes. So if you go to the picture that says tower, Tower. um, that's the observation deck. So that's where he was. Yikes. Oh, yeah. You could definitely see everything from Mm -hmm. there. Good vantage point. I probably should have put an aerial view one on there, but you you can Google it. His first victim on campus was a university employee who was a receptionist on the 28th floor. Minutes later, using an illegally modified shotgun, Whitnam, 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 Whitman, Whitman, gunned down a family of tourists in a stairwell as they attempted to enter the reception area. Two of the family members died immediately, while the other two were severely wounded. Ugh. They oh, was forgot just about taking that. a tour of the campus. Yeah. At 11.48 a.m., Whitman began shooting from the tower's outdoor observation deck, which wraps completely around the entire 28th floor. Mm. The outer walls of each side of the deck included three openings that were intended as rain spouts. Yeah. Whitman was able to use these openings uh, to shield himself from the return gunfire below. 
For the next 96 minutes, the sniper in the tower fired about 150 rounds of ammunition onto the public below. Boy, did he. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some mistook the sound of shots for the noise coming from a nearby construction site or thought that persons falling to the ground were part of a theater group or an anti-war protest. (laughs) Well, okay. Considering the time. Oh, all right. In the 60s, and it was college. and Well, and we've said it before. When you first hear a gunshot, like, you, you don't think you don't that's think a gunshot. You're shooting. like, surely not. Yeah. It's got to be something else. Yeah. Okay. One victim recalled that as she lay bleeding, uh. a passerby reprimanded her and told her to get up. Among the people who actually realized the situation, many risked their lives to take the wounded to safety. Ambulances from local funeral homes and an armored car were used to reach the wounded. (laughs) Four minutes after Whitman began shooting from the tower, a history professor was the first to call the Austin Police Department at 11.52 a.m. Patrolman Billy Speed, one of the first officers to arrive, took cover (laughs) with a colleague behind a stone wall. What you laughing at? Billy Speed was one of the first officers. Get it? Speed first. (laughs) But um. (laughs) Dad joke for you right there. Yep, continue. Ignore me. (laughs) Officer Houston McCoy heard of the shooting on his radio. As he looked for a way into the tower, a student offered to help, saying he had a rifle at home. McCoy drove the student to his home to retrieve the rifle. Yeah. Alan Crum, a 40-year-old retired Air Force tail gunner, was a manager at the University Bookstore Co-op. Across the street, he saw a 17-year-old newspaper boy being dragged and went to break up what he thought was a fight. Learning the boy had been shot and hearing more shots, Crumb redirected street traffic out of the way. Unable to make his way back to the store safely, he made his way to the tower where he offered to help the police. Inside the tower, he accompanied Department of Public Safety agent Dub Cowan. Yeah, yeah. Dub. Dub. <laughs> And Austin police officer Jerry Day up the elevator. Cowan provided Crum with a rifle. So everybody just getting their guns and shit. Yep. Yep. Around noon, Officer Ramiro Ray Martinez was off duty at home when he heard about the attack on the news. He called the police station and was told to go to the campus and direct traffic. Once there, he found other officers already doing that, so he went to the tower. He assumed he would find a team of officers there, but when he reached the 27th floor, he found only Cowan, Crum, and Day. So, two police officers and a civilian. Right. Obviously, they were not prepared for something of this, this nature, so. Yeah, they they still weren't sure exactly what was up there. What was happening. Then why only bring three people? Because they literally were not equipped for this. We'll get to it. That's true. Okay. Officers attempting to reach the tower were forced to move slowly and take cover often, but a small group of officers, including Houston McCoy, began making their way to the tower through underground maintenance tunnels. Officers and several civilians provided fire from the ground with small weapons and hunting rifles, forcing Whitman to stay low and fire through storm drains at the foot of the observation deck's wall. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't matter how much they were shooting at him. He found a way to continue Mm -hmm. to fire. So the incident ended at 1.24 p.m. when Whitman was ambushed on the northwest corner of the deck by two uniformed Austin Police Department patrol officers, Ray Martinez and Houston McCoy. Yeah, yeah. Alan Crum also accompanied Martinez to the observation deck and waited near the doorway on the south side. According to Crum's statement, Officer Jerry Day was also at the door. Whitman's rampage ended when he was shot to death by law enforcement. So, there were crime scene photos. Uh Uh-huh. They were graphic. Yes. I found one that was not. Good job. So, if you want to go to the notes and look at this crime scene photo. Yes. I found it important to see, like, how he um, disguised himself. But he legit is wearing janitor's coveralls. Yes, he is. Like, it would have been easy for him to blend, I think. Zooming in. Yeah. Now, if you want to search the interweb, more graphic pictures will very much pop up for you. But I did not feel it necessary to share that. It wasn't cute. No. 
So in the immediate aftermath, Martinez was nearly shot himself by those on the ground who did not yet realize that Whitman was dead. Oh, God. So people on the oh ground, God. they, they were had still no going. idea. Right. Because yeah. there was no communication between the tower people and the ground people. Right. So they were still shooting because they thought the sniper was still going. Oh, my God. Because all they heard was the gunfire up there. So... Uh, a police white officer flag, white flag. Yeah, almost died because people continued to shoot. Jesus. So the death toll, including Whitman's wife and mother, was a total of 17. 15 Ooh. people, including Austin police officer Billy Speed and an unborn child, lost their lives on August 1st. Yeah. Another died on August 8th. And a final victim died of a gunshot-related wound in 2001. What? Wait, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I did not look further into that. That's why all the newer articles about this say 17 victims. And yeah. Not 16. The older ones say 16. Okay. But something, I didn't look any further into that because my case was already really long. Right. But something related to the injuries he sustained at that shooting is what killed him. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 31 individuals were treated for wounds ranging from superficial to life-threatening in Austin's hospitals and the university student health center. So 17 died and 31 wounded. Yeah. I remember the story about the pregnant girl Mm -hmm. laying out in the yard. Yeah. Pretending she was dead. Right. Oh, Oh, that's terrifying. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. There's a documentary on this. Yeah. That y'all should definitely watch. I watched it when it came out. Me too. Years ago. A couple yeah. of years ago. So I have no idea what the name of it is right now, but I'm pretty sure it was on Netflix. We'll find it. Yeah. It was good. Rick Cloud was on campus that day and remembers the violence. He told the Texas Standard that he thought the commotion was a military exercise outside. Quote, I think about it every August. For my yeah. generation, it's when Kennedy was killed, and this is... One on a personal level that I'll always remember, end quote. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, I can't imagine. That would probably run across your mind at least once a day. Oh, yeah. Forever. So the Oof. observation deck was closed for several months to repair damage done to the outer walls near the clocks in the face of the building. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, all the you know, bullets, bullets everywhere. Yeah. During the first 30 years of the building's history, a total of three people had completed suicide from the tower's deck. After the tower shooting from night, yeah, after the tower shooting from 1968 through 1974, four more people chose to end their lives there. Oh my God! Yeah, so the seven suicide. Yeah, so you know that tower's haunted. Oh my God! That shit's haunted. That's so sad. After the last of the suicides, the 28th floor was closed again in 1974. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. In February 1976, the UT Regents voted to close the observation deck permanently. Good idea. Yeah. In 1999, UT's president, Larry Faulkner, presented a plan to the Regents to reopen the deck to the general public. No. The plan included a number of modifications to the 28th floor to make it more handicap accessible. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) And the outer deck to make it safer by enclosing it with a mesh of stainless steel bars. The observation deck was reopened to the public shortly after the dedication of the Tower Memorial Garden on August 1st, 1999. In the 2010s, public access to the top of the tower was by appointment and a guided tour only. Okay. So, I mean, they took good measures. Wait, do they still do them? I don't know. I probably should have Googled that. It's not that far away. (laughs) It's not. I don't know. I hear they have a good music scene in Austin. Yeah, they do. Hmm. Things to ponder. Okay. The first on-campus memorial to the victims of the tower shooting was not dedicated until August 1st, 1999, which is so sad. Wow. How come nothing was done before that? What, 30-something years later? Too long. Wow. Yeah. Okay. A small grassy area north of the tower, including what is popularly known as the Turtle Pond, was dedicated as the Tower Garden or Garden of Reflection. Okay. A small memorial plaque attached to a boulder was added to the garden in 2007, but it did not include names of any of the victims. Also, what the hell? Yeah. On August 1st, 2016, on the 50th anniversary of the tower shooting, a much larger monument made of Texas pink granite 
and including the engraved names of the 17 murdered victims was dedicated. Okay, so okay, finally, much better. Much thank better. you. Wow. And I can't pink believe granite. it didn't have... I love the pink granite I thing. Mean, I it. All right, so pop over to the notes. Okay. And look at the picture that says Memorial. You can kind of see the tower in the background, and it's this massive cut of... Oh, God. The pink granite and everybody's names on it. Okay, I really like that. So, the University of Mm. Texas tower shooting was a turning point in law enforcement history because of how it influenced changes in police departments throughout the United States. During this incident, it became tragically evident that officers of the Austin Police Department had no tactical training, clear lines of communication, adequate weapons, appropriate uniforms, or a unified command. Right. It wasn't their fault. No. No. They just simply were not prepared. Yeah. Along with the 1965 Watts riots, the UT Tower shooting is often cited as an inspiration to the formation of Special Weapons and Tactics Team, or SWAT, that are now part of most police departments serving populations of 50,000 or more. In Texas, during the regular session of the 1967 legislature... Senate Bill 162 provided (laughs) for the creation of police forces for institutions of higher education. So they're saying college campuses need to have their own little police police forces. So that's why colleges have, like, campus security teams and stuff now. Okay. Yeah, the campus police. Yeah. God. The bill signed into law by Governor John Connolly on April 27, 1967, led to the formation of the University of Texas Police Department. The UTPD replaced UT Traffic and Security Services, which had consisted of unarmed watchmen who supervised traffic and parking and never investigated felonies. Well, so, yeah, they just hung out and, you know, gave parking tickets. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It makes me think of the local one, like, pretty near. Yeah. Dulce Beats or that one. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately after the shooting, Governor John Connolly formed a 32-member team of experts in mental health and other medical fields to examine every aspect of the Tower tragedy. After a careful analysis of all available information on the life and death of Charles Whitman, the commission could not positively identify a cause for his rampage. One of their suggestions was that mental health and counseling services for college students be expanded. Yes. So, yes, that's a great idea. Good job, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But you've got to think about it in the mid-1960s. That's kind of a big thing to be like, okay, we do need to address this. Yeah, no, I'm very proud of them for acknowledging and doing something about it. Thank you. Good job, friends. (laughs) (laughs) The tragedy is also unique in American crime because of the unsolicited arrival of significant numbers of civilians using privately owned firearms to return fire upon the sniper. Yes. It there, is were, the, there were legit like a lot. An insane amount of people. <laughs> Almost everybody. Well, I mean, it was Texas. It was Texas. And they all got guns and shit. <laughs> It is the only example in modern times of an uncoordinated group of armed civilians assisting law enforcement by firing at a criminal during a crime. Yeah. In the aftermath, the civilian ground fire drew mixed reactions, of of course. Yeah. 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 I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah, Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Governor Connolly commented that it hindered the progress of the police in stopping the sniper because officers had to also be aware of shots fired up at the tower. Yes. Officer Ray Martinez later expressed gratitude regarding the civilians who had returned fire and forced Whitman to take cover, limiting his ability to target victims. Right. So, both sides of the coin here. Yeah. The causes of Whitman's rampage will probably never be known with absolute certainty. Since 1966, searches for an explanation for such senseless, deadly violence have resulted in several theories, which include... The discovery of a small brain tumor during an autopsy of the sniper. Okay. Chemical and drug abuse that some believe may have produced an amphetamine-induced psychosis. Well, yeah. Did mm-hmm. you... Uh, what What did he have in his pack? Excedrin and something else? Dexa... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the word, but now i got to scroll back and look. Hang on. Okay. Because it's going to bug me. Dexa something. Dexedrine? Dexa... Dexedrine. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that is. 
Psychological causes such as the training he received as a United States Marine and child abuse at the hands of his father, including witnessing significant domestic violence directed towards his mother and growing up in a gun-loving household in Florida. It's like an ADHD med. Okay, so he, yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's highly likely he could have abused his medication. Yeah. But I got a picture of the brain. Oh, shit. Yes. So it says brain. And it's a doctor pointing at where the tumor oh, that's was found. His actual Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. It's a scan of his brain. Now, there were other pictures on the interweb saying it was his brain, but there was no way to know if it was actually his brain. But okay. this was from a news article, so I know it's legit. There you go. Good it's job. A picture of his brain. Um Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um not impressed. Just nah, I mean it just looks like a brain. <laughs> <laughs> However, in the 48-hour period leading up to the tower shooting, judging by his actions, decision-making, and choices, there is little or no direct evidence that Charles Whitman was impaired mentally or physically during his spree killing. So there was, it was like he snapped. Yes. It was like he just snapped, and this is what he was going to do. And so that's the end of my case, but... Okay. I have a tidbit. Yes, I love tidbits. So as I was searching tirelessly for a picture of the brain. Right. I There was one picture of an actual brain. Okay. That looked like it was in a lab. Ooh. And so I click on it and I'm like, oh, I hope, you know, maybe there's some sort of documentation saying this is his brain. Right. And so I click on it and it's an article saying that sometime in the 2000s, I should have wrote this shit down, but sometime yeah. in the 2000s. A hundred brains were stolen what? from the University of Texas labs. A hundred brains. And Charles Whitman's was one of them. No! So apparently in the lab itself, they can store a hundred brains. But they had a hundred other brains. So they had two hundred brains. Oh my God. That second hundred oh brains. God. Oh my God. They were storing in the basement. And they went down to swap out some brains for research. And realized how of they them were, gone. were missing. Basement brains were gone. <laughs> basement brains. <laughs> so the ones in the lab were still there. So they still had a hundred of them. But the hundred basement brains was gone. Like, hey, hey, George. Um, there, there were brains. Where, where's the other brains? Like, guys, did you catalog the brains? Hey, guys. <laughs> guys. Um, <laughs> The brains are down here. Are you sure you put them in the basement? <laughs> Go check the list again. Yeah, they're in the Rubbermaid tub. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. But, yeah, I thought that was um, terrifying and interesting. Wow. That is I love that tidbit. That that might be my favorite yeah. tidbit yet. That was like midnight last night when I was looking for a brain picture. I love it when that happens, <laughs> when you find little extra and things like, oh, God. That's oh. why none of it got written down because it was that far after the fact. And, and it was like, oh, my God. people that stole it, like, I really hope What are that, you doing with them brains? What, yeah. First off, what the hell are you doing with a hundred brains? What the? Surely it wasn't one person that took a hundred brains. Maybe it was like some bro that was down there, like getting something else for his lab partner out of the basement, saw the brains and was like, dude. And then he had to show his friends. Right. Right. There's bruh, brains, bruh, down there's here. brains down there. There's Nobody brains. will know that they're gone. Like, just go get one. There's Maybe they're them. using them as conversation pieces. Uh, maybe it sits on uh, their coffee table. It sits on their shelf in their dorm room. They're like, yeah. oh, you know, it's so a conversation piece. So chicks think piece. they're smart because right. they're I'm researching. I'm in medical school. I'm mm-hmm. doing, That's you what know. happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened. Yep. We figured it out. Yep. The entire frat house. Oh, my God. Collected brains. That's <laughs> the, all of them. All of them. That's how it got around. It was all the frat mm-hmm. boys. Yep. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery fucking solved. <laughs> you are welcome. That's <laughs> what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, girl. Solving real problems. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a good one. And you gave um, more details that I didn't know. Cool. So that's I cool. love when that happens. Or yeah. like when you're going to research a case that you know, but then you come across stuff that you forgot about or stuff that you didn't know. 
Yeah. But like his brain that. was stolen. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> Brains. <laughs> Ashton likes to play zombie and he'll do that. He'll say, Mom, I'll be the zombie. Brains. Brains. <laughs> and, y'all, I'm ruining my kid. But then he'll pretend like he's yeah. eating my brains. Like he'll Oh and he'll you walk up him. to me and he'll go. And what do you do? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's my fake mom scream. <laughs> oh God. See every what? mom has a fake scream. Every mom has a fake ah! Every every girl has a Especially ma'am, like, ma'am. Every girl has a fake <laughs> screen. <laughs> Stop telling all the secrets. <laughs> you went there with it. I was being totally innocent. You know, it was like, I saw the look on your face. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> you gotta watch what you say around here. I know. God. So judgy. <laughs> it's not judgy. I'm just on top of my shit. So, funny little tidbit. We picked the same case. Mm-hmm. That was a thing. We did. Um, so, I found another one, which I'm super happy with. And uh, I'm just going to jump right into it. Okay. The Enoch Brown School Massacre of 1764. I'm here for it. So, did you know that school massacres didn't start with Columbine? Educate me. Okay. And I stuff my face with <laughs> You stuff your face, I'm going to stuff your mind. All okay. Right. <laughs> the first recorded mass murder in a school in U.S. history happened a dozen years before the United States was even established. When four Native Americans retaliated against the white settlers who had occupied their land. Mm-hmm. Bitches. Quit taking people's shit. Mm-hmm. This is my bubble. Stay in your bubble. Mm-hmm. But anyways, nestled in the heart of Antrim Township, Franklin County, is a memorial for some Pennsylvania pioneers and the toils and trials 11 early settlers endured. The monument marks the spot where schoolmaster Enoch Brown and 10 of his students were brutally killed. Mm. Yeah. Trigger warning. Mm-hmm. It's got kiddos, but I, I don't get too graphic. Okay. Okay. The massacre of Enoch Brown was not the first attack on English settlers by Indians in Pennsylvania, but it was, however, the most gruesome. I'm going to give you a few deets as to why they were so pissed. K K K. Indian resistance began to increase as more white settlers immigrated into Pennsylvania during the 1750s, as understandable. Mm-hmm. Pioneers in Antrim fell victim to many of these Indian raids. In 1756... Two young brothers, James and John McCullough, were abducted from their home and used as slaves. Mm. Later that same year, the Indians savaged the home of the Walker family that lived near Muddy Run. I like the name. Mm-hmm. In Antrim Township. Have you ever been to Pennsylvania or West Virginia? No. Okay, so there's lots of roads up there. Okay. So a run is like a creek. Okay. It's like a large creek. And so there are lots of roads named after runs. And the ah. road... Okay, I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, but you're fine. A tiny little tidbit. Okay. The road that my grandmother lives on is no longer called this because it was insensitive, I guess. Okay. So they changed it. Um, but while I was growing up, and the whole time my parents and my mom grew up, it was called Slaughter Run Road. Oh, shit. Oh, I like so it. So, she lives in, like, a valley between two mountains, and a run goes behind her house. Okay. And that's Slaughter Run, because <gasps> settlers coaxed Indians oh. and Native Americans down there. Oh. And slaughtered them. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, all right. I can see why they would change that. But knowing that as a kid, when you first turned down there... And you, like, have the creek on one side and this mountain on the other side. And it's just tree. It's dark. Okay. You don't really see much sunlight. There's so many trees when you first get on this road. It's all spooky. I like (laughs) this. I want to go. Yeah. Okay. We're coming to visit, Grandma. Yep. Yep. yep, We'll we'll be there soon. (laughs) 
That is so cool. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Muddy Run is probably a Muddy Creek. I like it. Or Crick. Crick. As my my papa said. Yeah, we can say Creek or Crick. It's fine. I'm a a creaker. He was a creaker. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a creaker Mm -hmm. or a bayou. Well, that's a southern thing. I know. Nobody else has bayous. We're we're special. We're special. (laughs) So special. So back to your money right, run. Back back to the money run in Antrim. Antrim. God G fuck. Okay. God G fuck. <laughs> in Antrim. Okay. So the father of the Walker family was killed and the five children were captured. Mm. Indians set fire to the house and then later killed the oldest and youngest children. That's so sad. Yeah. Okay. I hate that any of that was a thing. Yep. Yep. Should have never. I mean, seen. all of it. Every single bit of it. So it was 1763 and the beginning of Pontiac's War. A little history for y'all, if you remember that at all. <laughs> nah. In, in history class. I, I, it briefly rattles something in my brain, but. A Pontiac's a car. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a Pontiac's on fire. <laughs> they were so popular when they came out. Oh my God, I wanted one so bad. Okay, anyways. (laughs) I feel so smart right now. You're so pretty. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. I love this for you. (laughs) I just really love this journey for you. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm going to eat this cookie. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Pontiac, chieftain of the Ottawa tribe, traveled from Detroit to Pittsburgh, slowly attacking the small colonies of Americans who had settled on the land that was supposed to be theirs, as promised by the British crown. Mm, so. Them sneaky fuckers. I know, right? Mm-hmm. So White in, people. Got, I'm, I'm gonna start another. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> it's fine, I do it to you all the time. Fucking white people. <laughs> Fucking white people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bitches. All right, I'm going to eat more cookie. Okay. <laughs> In an attempt to stop the Indian raids, Colonel Henry Bouquet gathered nice. together. Get it? Bouquet gathered. Okay. Nice. I see what you did yeah. there. Together, a small army and defeated the tribes who had been attacking the area. Consequently, Colonel Bouquet's attempt actually sparked a major retaliation by the Indians across the American settlements in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia. Shocker. Right. They got a little bit pissed. You know. Fucking white people. They didn't appreciate them (laughs) white bitches going on their territory. Right. Bringing all them diseases and drama and stuff. All right. So I have a picture of the chief. I don't have many photos for this one, but I do have a picture. Ooh, that's fabulous. Right? Smoking the peace pipe or Mm -hmm. something. I'll smoke a song. I'm I'm here for the attire. Yes. I feel like there are not enough crowns with feathers in them. I know. I'm a little disappointed. I mean, I like his headpiece. It's great. But, I mean, wouldn't you, like, go in your attire, like your best dress, like your Sunday best or something like that? That is a Sunday best. Talk about the other people in the background. Oh. Chief got it going on. Well, they're... They're just the regular people. Maybe they just didn't want to scare them. Maybe. Not everybody gets a fancy dress. That's true. They really sure. weren't worth it. <laughs> they That's were. not what I was saying. The chief <laughs> is like the king, and they're like the regular people. Yeah, I know. But I was just saying. <laughs> the white people it. wasn't worth getting all fancied up for, so... Oh, okay. Now I see what you're saying. That's what I was saying. Oh, my God. Just eat your cookie. I'm going to keep reading. I feel so smart today. Uh, That's a cool picture, though. I like those pencil pictures like that. Yeah, I do, too. I thought it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) Unfortunately, that was not the only reason why the Indians decided to get back at the English settlers, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Governor John Penn of Pennsylvania announced a promise, okay, quote unquote, y'all, promise of bounties to be paid to the white man for Indian scalps. Oh, no. 
The Paxton Boys, a white gang in the Dauphin County area, considered this bargain issued by the governor and went on a rampage killing six Indians one day and 14 another. Oh, no, no, no. No, that's no. why. That's yeah. why y'all getting killed. Right. Y'all started that shit. Karma. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they would entirely wipe out the Conestoga pri- tribe. Almost said pride. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're not lions. It's fine. They're people. It's a tribe. <laughs> the Indians fought back by killing and scalping across anyone across the colony of Pennsylvania, disregarding age, gender, or condition. Mm. It's fair game. I don't like it. It was the purge. On the morning of July 6, 1764, a group of Indians made their way into the into the Cumberland Valley. 3 miles north of what is today called Greencastle stood a small schoolhouse where Christian schoolmaster Enoch Brown and 11 of his pupils were preparing to start the day. Shortly after they began, three warriors rushed into the schoolhouse, capturing Enoch and the 11 students. Two Indians guarded the door, while the other clubbed the schoolmaster and 10 students before scalping and leaving them all for dead. No, thank you. One student, Archie McCullough, was scalped, but the Indians did not realize that he had not been killed. He hid it in the fireplace inside the schoolhouse. Yeah. Um, before making his way to a near spring. Oh, you brave little baby. And I don't know exactly how old they were, but if it's a schoolhouse, I'm guessing elementary, middle school aged. Yeah, because... At least elementary. Yeah, because schooling was different then Mm -hmm. than it is now. So when they're like teenage, they're grown pretty much. Right. So, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. There he washed his head before a nearby neighbor to the school found him. Um, He did, in fact, live to be quite old, but he was mentally scarred from that day on. Of course. With exactly what, I'm not sure, but just the memories would be enough. Mm -hmm. According to Archie's story, two old Indians and a young Indian rushed up to the door soon after the opening of the morning session. The master, surmising their object, prayed for them to only take his life and spare the children. But all were brutally knocked in the head with an Indian maul and scalped. Farmers who had been concerned with the silence surrounding the schoolhouse discovered the bodies of Enoch and his ten students a few hours after the attack. Days would pass before the people of Antrim Township laid the bodies to rest. Oh, that's so sad. Yep. On a solemn day, the settlers gathered together and placed the bodies of those killed. Um, They put them head to feet, alternatively, alternately. Mm -hmm. In one large wooden box. They later buried them in an unmarked grave a few yards away from the slaughter, from where the slaughter originally occurred. For years, this story was told and considered a legend by a lot of people because there wasn't an identifiable grave near the schoolhouse. They're like, okay, Mm -hmm. you say it's there, but where's it at? Yeah. However, one curious man was told the story as a boy, and it prompted him to search for the unmarked grave. Okay. Many years later, when he was an older boy, General David Dietrich was introduced to Miss Betty Hopkins, who would tell him the story about the terrible tragedy that had occurred not even one mile from her home. Like, right next door. Yeah, that's not okay. Miss Hopkins was a widow who lived in a small house near the school. Her windows were actually covered by wooden boards that day, so it appeared that the house was deserted. On the day of the attack, the Indians passed by her home and never bothered to look inside because they just assumed that nobody lived there. After being friends with Miss Hopkins for 20 years, General David Dietrich put her to rest at the age of 104. Oh my gosh. That's like forever. For yeah, back in the day. that is that is a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so the general and another community member, A.B. Rankin, worked closely together after the passing of Miss Hopkins to prove whether or not the story that young David um, told was the truth. Like, where where the mass grave at? Mm-hmm. So after almost 80 years after the attack, A.B. Rankin led the people of Greencastle in an investigation to uncover the grave of Enoch and the 10 students. He and 20 other citizens conducted a dig, hoping to find a burial site. 
After the first excavation, the very first, the remains of one adult and 10 students were indeed found in a common grave. Oh, my goodness. After the grave had been discovered, the then owner of the land, Kristen Hoser, planted four locust trees to mark the site. But 40 years later, during the spring of 1883, these trees were cut down. Aww. Fearing the site would be forgotten, three men, Colonel F.B. Winger, Wanger, <laughs> Wanger. Winger, I don't know. It's probably yeah. Wenger. Probably, but I but like, I like w- Wanger. I like Wanger. <laughs> <laughs> like, I sat there with that one for a minute and I was like, I don't know, I kind of like Wanger. <laughs> and General David Dietrich and Reverend Cyrus Court got together and visited the site. They wanted to buy the land and erect a monument. You said erect. I left it in there. (laughs) (laughs) It was not until 1884 during the Franklin County Centennial Convention that this proposal was considered. During the session, plans were developed to raise money to build the monument. An abstract from the actual meeting report found in the Memorial of Enoch Brown states the following. Look, like, I I could read this. (laughs) But basically, really all it says is, okay, that's cool, but it's going to cost you two grand. You can build a monument and it'll be like you'll own the land where they were murdered and the land where the grave is now. And you can put a monument there and we'll look after it. Okay. It was, it was a lot of other words. Okay. And some of them I really didn't like because it was very, um, I don't like the way that they talked about the Indians in this official report. Like it was, it was very fair enough. So the official dedication ceremony occurred on August 4th, 1885. The two days prior to the event were filled with rain and the committee members feared that the day of the unveiling would be much like those prior to their surprise. However, it did not rain and it actually turned out to be a gorgeous day. Okay. About one hour before the ceremony was to begin, approximately 5,000 people filled the area. Wow. Yeah. Colonel uh, B.F. Wanger, <laughs> Wanger <laughs> called the meeting to order and later allowed Reverend Cyrus Court to make a few remarks before nine boys and four girls pulled the red, white, and blue cords to unveil the marvelous monument. Oh, let's see. Let's see the monument. Okay. Okay. It says monument. Oh wow! Yeah, it's 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 big. It is big. <laughs> <laughs> it's big and erect. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's got a nice little fence around it to keep it protected. Yeah, that's nice. I just like that they did something. Yeah, that's noticeable. I think it's awesome that somebody was like, "Okay, I want to prove that this was a real thing." Yeah, like and he actually, actually did the that, time. and then other people picked up where he left off. That's on really his cool. own accord, mm-hmm. like. That's awesome. Did the damn thing. Each side of the monument had an inscription to remember Enoch Brown and his 10 students. The east side of the monument listed the names of those killed. The north side commemorated those who made donations for the park. The west side told where the remains of those killed were placed. And the south side contained a poem dedicated to those massacred. Okay. Um, I have a little photo of one of the engravings. It's the poem. Okay. Um, and it's you it's very legible. You can read it. I'm not gonna it's just a little like tidbit. Okay. Very nice. And it has the victims on there. So there you go. I'm almost done. Wow. That's short. <laughs> I'm used to going more and more and more. <laughs> That's All what right. she said. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Today, that monument still stands to remind the citizens of Greencastle how brutal life had been during the early pioneer times. David Dixon, author of Never Come to Peace Again, claimed this time as a period of war without mercy. Mm. In many ways and on all sides, this was indeed true. Franklin County's Enoch Brown Monument captures the memory of but one incident of that bloody time. Oh, there's well more. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that that the was the very cool. first school shooting in the US. Well, it wasn't a shooting, but the very first school massacre. Well, you know. 
<laughs> it is what it is. It counts. But that was a really cool story. I thought so. I was like, oh shit, oh shit, they getting scalped. Oh, yeah. okay, I'm doing it. It's really sad from, like the story just said, all the way around. Yeah. It's sad. Oh, yeah. From both sides. And like I said earlier, I think it's really cool that somebody was like, I need to know. And he figured it out. I know. That's really cool. I love those people. Yeah. Get it, buddy. Well, good job. Thank you, ma'am. You too. Thanks. Pat on the back. (laughs) We did that. We did it. All right. Um, What do we have left? Douchebox. Who's in the douchebox this week? Okay. May 18th is the day this is coming to you. Yeah, yeah. And we have Harvey Lewis Carignan. Okay. Carignan? Carignan. I don't know. Okay. Harvey. Harvey. Okay. He was born May 18th, 1927, and is an American serial killer currently serving the remainder of a 400-year sentence. 400? (laughs) Wow. At the Minnesota Correctional Facility, Farabault, for the murders of two women. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. He only murdered two women and he's got 400 years. I got to hear this. Yeah. Okay. He had been previously convicted for a 1949 rape and murder he committed while stationed in the U.S. Army in Anchorage, Alaska. Okay. Although he was sentenced to hang, he was ultimately paroled for that crime in 1960. What? What? That's what? it. That's what? all I got. No. No. Okay. Hold up, swole up. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm going to need... What? Harvey. Harvey Lewis. Lewis. What? Oh, it popped up for me. C-A-R-I-G-N-A-N. Oh, he is not okay looking. He's not okay. He's got a whole Wikipedia. He's in Murderpedia. Oh, there he is. Oh, he was called the want ad killer. Ew. Ew. He is creepy as fuck. He's scary. He is scary. Super scary. Let's look at his Murderpedia. Okay. Ooh, there's a Murderpedia. Mm -hmm. I love Murderpedia. Okay, so Murderpedia says the same thing my book says. Okay. Oh, there it is. Um, unless I read this big long article. Yeah, they've always got a lot of details. Apparently Anne Rule under her um writing pseudonym Andy Stack wrote a book, The One Egg Killer. Okay. So there's a book we can read. Ooh, photo gallery. Y'all He's like his now picture. Ew, he's ew. <sighs> okay, here, here we go. Here's a little hairline. Here's a little tidbit. Okay. Although suspected of many counts of rape and murders, only four cases garnered sufficient evidence pointing to Carignan as the perpetrator of these crimes. So he's suspected of a lot. Okay, but only four cases he ended up being convicted of. Ugh. He's 94 and still in prison. Yeah, his current photo is not cute. I guess nobody really would be at 94, but, um, yeah. (laughs) He got busted because he got a speeding ticket in the same area where two women were killed. (laughs) Y'all, y'all, all all these murderers (laughs) with your broken taillights and your speeding tickets. And not using your turning signal. Like, what is wrong with y'all? Oh, my God. Obey the laws. Take care of your taillights. one law at a time. Actually, I'm I'm pretty glad y'all are out there doing stupid shit and getting busted. Keep the attention on you. Yeah. And, you know, get in trouble for the shit you do. (laughs) Hey, um, so we'd really love to get rid of these jack wagons. (laughs) We're the guys that got busted. (laughs) We'd really just like to end this right now. Yeah. <laughs> Could you just come take us in? <laughs> yeah. Keep doing that shit, guys. Yeah. We're here for it. It provides great entertainment. Tootsies. Yeah. Mean, here we are. It's what we do. All right. All right. So, there's the douche box. I have nothing further except for... Nothing Cinda's further, Your Honor. <laughs> 
<laughs> the prosecution does not rest. Okay, <laughs> just hold the fuck on. <laughs> Objection. Objection. Hearsay. Wait, you, you asked the question. Okay. okay. <laughs> Overruled. Okay. <laughs> What what are we doing? I was gonna say, um, you know, I don't know. If you like us, go rate and review us. Do that after that mess that just happened right there. That's really important, though. If you want to support us, it really is the best way to support us. That's the best way to go do to it. Apple and go rate and review. Yeah, send us episode ideas. Send us spooky stories. We love spooky stories. We haven't done something spooky in a long time. I know. I need some spooky. I don't know. Maybe if something like tickles our fancy. Mm-hmm. I've got some spooky on the list. I do have, yeah, I know, we have spooky stuff coming. We just haven't done it yet. It ain't made it here yet. Yeah. It's, <laughs> we, we ain't hit that right spot. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. So go do that. Yeah. And uh, thanks for sticking around for that. Appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to go now. Okay. Me too. Okay. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Boetsky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Higgins for art. We'll talk at you next week.